If you're looking for strong opinions, loosely held and widely shared, you've come to the right place. This is the National Talkie League. National Talkie League. Charles is a fantastic man, a fantastic, a seriously fantastic man. I figured I'd, I'd try to shake up the script uh, a little bit here, Dave. I'm not entirely sure still what, how we to cement the beginning of the podcast. I feel like we need like an introduction, like our own Ed McMahon to kind of walk us onto the stage, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Just make things easier. Yeah, we need a little host, a little uh, someone come on and uh, talk to us and tell us a bit of a story before we come out to warm up the crowd, if you will. Is that what you want to get? Do you want to get like that um, that guy who gives a factoid about us? And now here's two <laughs> men who can't fit into a Volkswagen together, Roger <laughs> and Dave. <laughs> I love it. I, I was trying to I channel will. Johannes though with uh, with the intro. Chelsea is a fun. Fantastic man. I mean, seriously, he's an incredibly fantastic man. That's what I was going for. Love it. Love <laughs> it. Oh, man. Oh, man. Well, okay. So this, is, I guess, is kind of the follow-up to the uh, the first ever election spectacular that we did on the National Talkie League. And I've got uh, a little bit of crow to eat. Lucky for me, I like crow. And because I said that Sean Chu wouldn't get reelected. And I thought that uh, Evan Woolley was going to have a bit of a tough race in, in uh, Ward 8, I guess that is. Um, but all the incumbents are going back to City Hall. So say what you will. There you go. Um, yeah. No, that was interesting. Uh, I was following along and uh, looking at the results and that. I mean, I wasn't waiting on them refreshing like crazy, like uh, maybe elections in the past. <laughs> right. Um, because I kind of had a feeling how things were going to go. But then when I looked at all the numbers the next morning, actually during the vote counting, things were a little closer. Like I remember Drew Farrell was behind at one point uh, and then ultimately came out ahead. And yeah, I think uh, Ward Sutherland might have been a little behind in one of the polls when I was looking at it. I don't know that for sure, but you know that kind of thing, right? Right. Uh, I was in Edmonton um, on the night on election night. So I voted in the morning and then I had a business trip last week. So I was up in Edmonton and um, it was kind of interesting because there was no drama in Edmonton whatsoever. Like at least not that I could tell. Um, nobody seemed to be, you know, there were no crazy upsets. I think Iverson's in there again. Like it, it, there was just no crazy drama. Whereas it was a tale of two cities, right? I mean, here in Calgary, it was obviously a fraud, an election fraught with much drama and, um, there was that whole Main Street polling, uh, I'm going to say fiasco because of the way it played out on Twitter afterwards. But, you know, people really thought that we were in for a new mayor. And then at the end of the day, uh, we just weren't. Nothing really changed. So are you saying that Edmonton's election was boring and no one would ever want to hear about it? And Calgary's election was vibrant and exciting and totally where you'd want to be? Is that what you're saying? Or? Uh, I'm going to stick to my rule where when somebody says, so are you saying, <laughs> you know, the next thing comes out of their mouth. No. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, no, you know, it's just, it, it's just that it was kind of neat. And it, honestly, it was, I felt like I was lucky to be there. Like I, you know, we did the podcast the night before and then I voted in the morning and then I, I, I escaped. <laughs> so. 
So are you so are you saying that that you felt that you were lucky to be in Edmonton? Okay, so let's get this because this might be the first time that phrase has ever been uttered. Oh yeah, I think uh, yeah, I think you can uh, you can mark the calendar. Uh, it was yeah, it was funny, and you know what? I, I had a good time. I sat at a bar by myself watching baseball. More on that later, and I had a few pints, and I peeled off a rant on Twitter because. Uh, you know, from 300 clicks away, it was just kind of like, it was just weird reading some of the insolence and lunacy that was, that people were putting out uh, about this election and about our city. And I thought to myself, like, don't, this is not a micro, like, this is a micro, this is a moment in Calgary. This is not like where we are rising up from a sea of lava to define who we are as a planet. Like, this was a moment in Calgary. And people were treating it like it was a crossroads, you know, like the, uh, this is a this is going to be this is going to determine whether or not this city burns to the ground or whether we soldier on in the right direction. I was just kind of like, guys, come on. I don't know. That's kind of my take on it. No, fair enough. And and a lot of what I was reading in your rant, too, was this whole idea that, you know, people are taking sides so hard about stuff. And it's just it's just ridiculous, right? Oh, if you voted for Smith, you're a you're a monster, right? <laughs> like, well, I didn't vote for Smith, but I don't think anyone who did is a monster. I think they just had a different opinion than me. That's how it goes. Yeah. So I've, I've said this in the past. You, you're, no candidate is everything to everybody, right? So, like, even there, even people who. Uh, well, let's just use the, the the practical example here. So, like, Nenshi couldn't have been everything to everybody because I don't think there were too many many people that went to the booth, uh, you know, the polling station that th- said to themselves, "Boy, I'm looking for a candidate who is a visible minority, uh, who's a Muslim, uh, who will stand up to the Calgary Flames, and who gets sued by uh, philanthropists and businessmen." That's that, that's kind of what I'm looking for, <laughs> right? Like that that was no voter in this in this particular election, and so because of that, I'm incredibly forgiving of candidates, or excuse me, of voters who say I'm voting for this candidate for reason A, like they're willing to take the aspirin tablet even though it tastes bitter, right? So, you know, that's why you can't just say like, oh, well, if you vote for Bill Smith, you're a racist. It's like. No, if I vote for Bill Smith, it's because I want the green line to stop. And that's the only reason I'm like, for example, right? Yeah. If yeah. I, I'm so vehemently opposed to the green line, I think Bill Smith will stop it. That's why I'm voting for him. And that for some reason, people can't digest that. And that's what pisses me off about our, our spoiled democracy that we live in. It's interesting to me that uh, we know for a fact that that Smith seen. Well, we shouldn't say we know for a fact. We have strong opinions that Smith was probably kind of bought and paid for, uh, probably by the Conservative Party. I think the Conservative Party even sort of intimated as such in various uh, you know places, or that they backed him. Maybe not yeah. bought and paid for. Yeah, but I, I get fun. I get that you say bought and paid for, and that's kind of like common parlance and just sort of you know uh, you know election speak, but. Look, there, he was backed by like there was a movement, and he was the the horse that this particular movement wanted in there. And so, of course, that brought some of the the provincial politics into the city realm. So, I guess my question for you is going to be: if there was a candidate who had run who didn't have that baggage, who wasn't so clearly, you know, the conservative party's guy, um, I wonder if that would have changed the result of the election. It was a pretty close election. 
I wonder if that was the thing that kind of sunk him. I don't know. Yeah, because I, I, I do think so because I think it gave the progressive, uh, the organized progressive side of the vote, um, some stuff to latch onto and to say like, like we just heard the same stuff again and again, right? Like how um, he won't release his donor records, right? And how he is, uh, or the I'm trying to remember now. <laughs> I'm kind of well, it was they were, they were you know they were pointing out all the misspelling mistakes and stuff, and some of his campaign materials, and the fact that he had, uh, you know mismanaged some money in one of his companies and forgot that he owed money on a loan and things like that. Yeah. And they linked him to Jason Kenney basically in that progressive movement that doesn't want Jason Kenney to be the leader of the UCP and the next premier of Alberta was basically saying, look, a vote for Smith is a vote for Kenney in a lot of ways. So um, yeah, I look, I think that, that, that just sort of fueled that progressive fire. Now, if, if a, a true conservative, or let me step this back. If another conservative candidate had come forward, somebody who was independent of this provincial matter that you're talking about had run and said um, a lot of the same things, but also was able to put forth like a, a you know, a, a demonstrably conservative policy and be a reasonable conservative voice. I think it would have been a totally different story because I think then somebody could have come up and said, um, look, the city's in a great place or the city is not in a great place. It could be in a better place. And we simply can't afford to have a politician who makes as many mistakes as not hit. And she does. This is what I am uh, proposing for you. And it's a real alternative and vote for me, vote for change. Then I think you might've seen something. Um, but you know, I balance that with the fact that you know, the score at the end of the day was 140,000 to 112,000, or excuse me, um, I'm looking at some old data, was 199,000 to 169,000. And I wonder how many of those 169,000 votes were purchased by the machine that was behind um, Bill Smith, which is to say, could, you know, could John Lord have got that many votes in 2013 if he had the kind of support Smith had? Well, and then the question too is is uh, how many of those votes for Smith were actually for Smith, right? You mean you got to think there's a lot of anti Nenshi out there. Right. We know that. We know there's a lot of people that are upset with him. So if you vote against someone rather than for someone, I wonder what that breakdown would look like. Would never know, but that would be an interesting number to see, right? Well, I'm telling you, man, that Larry Heather vote, <laughs> powerful Larry Heather protest vote. Which saw uh, 845 Calgarians. 840. And, and did people come in below Larry? Four, yeah. Three people actually had fewer votes than Larry Heather. That's like – that's you should have to move if you get less votes than Larry Heather. Like what are you doing wrong to get less votes than Larry Heather? Well, yeah, fair enough. But it's like, you know how people like the movie, the room, how people went and saw that movie. Cause people told them it was so bad. That's how Larry Heather's getting all those votes. <laughs> like six of those. Okay. So I think that Larry's uh sycophants might amount to like 17 of those votes. So you've got fully like 830, almost uh, 828 people who just are, are up for a laugh. Like they're just having a good time, you know? <laughs> I voted. Don't blame me. I voted for Larry Heather. <laughs> they just want the T-shirt. They want the don't invitation. Blame me for bike lanes. I voted for Larry Heather. <laughs> yes, your conscience is cleansed. He he was actually out with his one of his signs, uh, protesting by himself 
on uh, on the bike lane uh, out in front of uh, a Northland Mall. Yeah kind of up in my neck of the woods. And I'm like, why are you protesting here? The only people driving down this road are people who are dropping their kids off for swim class. I just, I'm really, I just have a hard time figuring out like there's shit in the world. I'm angry about Dave, but I'm not going to give my entire day to like, to it, to stand on the sidewalk by myself. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and Northland's kind of an easy one to pick on too, because you know, again, I'm sure there's numbers that'll prove me wrong, but I have yet to see anyone actually biking on that. I drive down there fairly often. I'm not there all day, every day, but no one's using that bike lane. Yeah. No one. I just, you know, with Larry, it's, and I don't mean to pick. See, I, I said this a long time ago, and I'm, I guess to stand by it, and then I'm going to crack a joke at his expense. So let me try to sound sanctimonious and then totally break my own rule. But um, I, I don't think it's fair to make fun of the mentally ill. And so I don't like to make fun of Larry Heather. But if you're going to run for mayor and you can't get seven other people to protest something with you, okay, <laughs> does that effectively make my point? I believe it does. I believe it does. So uh, we had talked earlier this week about uh, sort of winners and losers in this election. Obviously, I mean, some of the candidates who didn't win would be, you know, quote unquote losers. But there was other people in the game this time, right? So this election was a lot more played out in the social media, mm-hmm. and so there was other other players that weren't directly involved, uh, but who might have won or lost something. Um, do we want to run through a few of those or? Yeah, I'm kind of stuck on on trying to figure out who the those winners and losers are. Like, I'm not. Yeah, so I mean, I could, I'll have the conversation, but I'm not trying to prognosticate. Basically, does that make sense? <laughs> well, the only reason I thought of this is, uh, you know, basically there's people in the community who became very outspoken about who they thought should win, and so if their guy doesn't win, it's sort of a little bit of egg on their face. So just just for one example, would be uh, would be Brett Wilson. Right. right, came out very hard in support of the Smith camp. Obviously, he's a part owner of as the Phoenix Coyotes, I think. Yeah, I have no idea anymore what what the owner. See, uh, I don't know what he owns, and I don't know what the what the Coyotes ownership structure is. I guess I could do some research into it. I thought that there was like some kind of a uh, semi um, embattled financier that has most of that team, but maybe Brett's got a got a piece of it. I don't know. Could be. I, I mean, at any rate, he was he was. Very outspoken on Twitter and and did a couple interviews here and there about the whole the arena the arena deal and you know he's basically taking the tack that he's very much in favor of having an arena that the city deserves it that kind of thing, but I think he I think his his not his you know actual stock but his social stock might have taken a little bit of a hit because of that election. Yeah, and I mean I think I think Brett's a, a celebrity, um, you know, one of these like celebrity entrepreneur types. Um, he makes. A lot of money, his business is fine. But when he did that thing about, you know, I will give the library $100,000 if the city approves Uber, I sort of thought like that's particularly irresponsible um, of you to essentially say like I will bribe politicians openly because that's ultimately what that was, right? And it's sort of like don't – don't – can you imagine if it was a hospital? Like, can you imagine if he'd stepped up and said, look, I'm going to give 20, you know, $2 million to the children's hospital, cancer ward, children's terminal cancer ward, where kids with 
Oh, they all die. But I'll give two million. Anyway, the point is, I'm going to give two million if they will make the bike lane go by my office. Like, that's bribery is what that is. And it's it's just sort of bizarre, like this celebrity culture that we have, um, or cult of celebrity more appropriately, that he got a pass for that. Because there's, you know, nobody likes the way the NRA has their money in the pockets of congressmen. People are often critical of that. Or, you know, when we know that lobbyists are affecting uh, laws in this country or policies in this country, nobody has an appetite for that. But here's this good looking guy, a swinging dude, and he's on the CBC and he says basically the same thing. I'll give six figures to a public facility if, if you do what I want with policy. People should have been up in arms. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Agree, hundred percent. Um, yeah, no, it's I don't know. It's interesting now because, like I said, everything's become politi- politicized, weaponized. You know, <laughs> you can't open your mouth without one side sort of going, "Ah, see," and the other side going, "Boo." <laughs> well, do you think the how do you think the flames come back out of this? Like, what do you think? What do you think their next the next steps for them are? I think if the flames are smart, the first thing they do is they put. Yarmer Yager on the injury reserve list. <laughs> um, wait, why are you laughing? Has that happened? To my, <laughs> I think we should spend a million dollars on a super old player and have him get hurt immediately. <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't know what the Flames do now. They they definitely took a big PR hit as well, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, diehard fans are always going to be diehard fans, but you're hearing now people who are like, I'm a diehard fan, but I think this is bullshit, right? We talked about this a bit before, and I I mean, you don't want to get carried away. You don't want to take it too far, but this whole idea that this sort of, you know, wealthy elite is always being looked up to just because they're super rich. I wonder if those days are starting to come to an end now. I wonder if people are tired of, you know, the multi-billionaires just throwing their cash around and doing whatever they want and, and, like you said, taking a pass because of it. I'm wondering if things like that are starting to starting to turn. People are starting to go, you know what? The Flames games are crazy expensive. I can't afford to go to a game anymore. Why am I fighting for these guys, right? They're not doing anything for me. Yeah. Do people see the guys that wear the sweaters, though, as the one percenters? I mean, they are, but do people see them that way? Oh, I don't think so. I don't think the players are the ones that are going to take the heat for it. Yeah. Because, I mean, I, get, I dig what you're saying about, like, the wealthy wealthy people not being – is that what you're saying, that they're not appreciated? Well, not not so much that they're not appreciated, but it seems to me like, especially in the 80s, we had the whole greed is good right. era and people looked up to people like Donald Trump and went, oh, you're so rich. That's amazing. You're, you must be better than us because you're so rich. And I find that I'm starting to see opinion turn these days because maybe again of Donald Trump and, and, and policies in the States, but I'm starting to see a lot more people like pushing back against, oh yeah, so what you're rich, but what are you doing with it? Right. Okay. So it's like a, we villa- talked about it on the podcast more uh, earlier, right. you know, that if you're, if you're Bill Gates and you're out there curing malaria or, you know, doing your best to, to stop people from starving and dying. Yeah. Go for it. Have as much money as you want. If you're just throwing it around for the sake of throwing it around, people are going to start having issues with you, you know? Right. So it's like this vilification of the rich. Sure. Yeah. That's a, that's a fairly good term. Yeah. Okay. So then what you're saying is <laughs> that you don't think rich people should be allowed to live in Calgary. That's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> that's, that's pretty much how it goes. Right. So, yeah, I mean, you know, the, the funny thing about Bill Smith or Bill Smith, Bill Gates, 
two different guys, is that, um, you know, we highlighted the whole, his malaria thing, like how he's trying to stamp out malaria. But at the same time, the fact that he brought, uh, he was instrumental in bringing a level of connectedness and access to information and education to the entire planet, that gets glossed over, <laughs> right? Like if Microsoft wasn't the company that made it so many billions of dollars, we wouldn't have you know, the personal computer may not be as ubiquitous a thing. You might not have all the technological advancements that led on from that. And thus kids in third world, third world countries who can get both Wikipedia and Pornhub on a phone. Right? They can learn literally everything they need to know. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and, and fair enough. I mean, often people who are, you know, uber wealthy got there because they did something to – to get them there, right? right? I mean, you can make fun of Mark Zuckerberg all you want, but I guarantee you, you're probably using the thing he created, yeah. probably almost every day. He's a, he's a dick, though. Well, I just want to say he's a dick. He's he's a rich dick. If he's a dick, <laughs> well, it's like they, yeah, okay. So we could keep going down this road, but 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 their industrial achievements are often glossed over. Right? Sure, you know, and and it's sort of like. You know, philanthropically, look, I get it that um, – yeah, I think I made the point. Philanthropically, I get it. Bill Gates wants to make sure kids don't get malaria. But like holy shit, what he did with computers has really been a huge benefit to the world. Absolutely. I mean so I guess it's uh, – you know, if you're Elon Musk and you're trying to bring solar power to the entire planet, you're probably getting a lot more good press than if you're the – I don't know, the biggest shareholder of Bear Stearns. And you may have done a lot of good things to help the banking industry, but I think most people would probably look at that and go, "Yes, so what?" You know, you you you, just, you took millions of dollars and put lots of people out of their homes and stuff. And I don't know that that shareholder did that, but that's the impression, right? right people okay. have a lot less patience for that sort of thing. Accumulating wealth for the sake of accumulating it is different than than turning around and using that wealth to for the betterment of others. My God, I sound like a textbook now. <laughs> I think that. The Calgary Flames should um, just completely avoid the conversation altogether for the next six months and see how the season goes. And then if the Flames are in a playoff, uh, have a, in, in a spot where they have like a, a shot at the playoffs, or maybe they even have a playoff berth, then to go to the city and not, you know, on not bend the knee, but just basically say to the city, um, we'd like to talk again. Um, can we please come back to the table or like, can we get to the, not even, can we please come back to the table, but, um, can we get back to the table and discuss the options with the new arena? So they don't even have to humble themselves. This doesn't need to be an exercise in humility. Just let the mood around about hockey get really good and let the, um, the, the, the kind of the stain of the election and the conversation that preceded the election rinse away. Can we should, can we do this as a, as a, as an improv? Can we, can we, can we have that conversation between the city and the flames? Uh, absolutely. You, okay. Who would you like to be? Well, you tell me, you tell me who, who to be. Uh, I will be the flames. Okay. I'll be the city. You can be the city. All right. It could be whoever, whoever or the whole city, your choice. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to be the whole city of Calgary. <laughs> 
Uh, uh, hi there, city of Calgary. Hello, flames. It's good to see you. I've been wearing you on top of my tower from time to time. Whenever there's something worth celebrating, welcome, welcome. What can I do for you? Uh, listen, I know things got a little rocky between us in regards to the stadium we wanted to place on you uh, a while back. Yes, while you were trying to dig into a part of me that's got a creosote stain, I'm a little embarrassed about that. I really wanted you up on my my east side, if you know what I'm saying. It's my good side. But go on. What's the what, what can Calgary do for you? Well, I, I feel like we want Speak to Speak up. I'm 120 uh, years old, damn it. I can't hear you that well. Keep – sorry. Go on. I, I thought we might discuss this a bit more. Now, things have changed a little bit since the last time we spoke. Uh, I, I don't know if you've heard or not, but we've made the playoffs. Woo, yes, I have. I have definitely heard that you've made the playoffs. And uh, you can tell by the smell of vomit on one of my favorite avenues in the Beltline that you guys have made the playoffs. And furthermore, uh, as a, as a, you, you might look at it as a negotiation tactic, mm-hmm. but we believe it's part of uh, who we are. Uh, of course, as you know, earlier this year, we signed uh, uh, Jagmeet Singh to our team. <laughs> right. Yes. Uh, I don't follow the sport that closely. I'll take your word for it. And of course, uh, you know he he represents a pro- progressive part of our uh, of our organization, and we just like to talk about maybe doing that stadium deal once again. Oh, you know, here's a little. Let me just give you a little insider tip, okay? Uh, I would actually really like it if we could get one because uh, when from the top of me, looking at your current stadium, it looks like a big vagina diaper, like a big maxi pad or something like that, and it, which I think. Really needs to go. Why didn't you open with that, by the way, when you were talking to <laughs> Nahid Nenshi? Why did, don't say the building's old. Just say it looks like something that that uh, belongs between your thighs. <laughs> well, fair enough. That that's our bad. We'll we'll have to take. It's that called the saddle dome. It actually does belong between your thighs. <laughs> it's surprising. Who's running your business that you it didn't occur to you? All right, enough of the saddle dome. We, we'd like to do the new arena. All right. You can have it, but you have to build it wherever I tell you. Do you promise? Uh, well, how much do we have to pay for it? Nothing. I'll give it to you for free, but you have to build it wherever I tell you. Do you promise? Uh, and do we get to keep all the money from it? Yes, 100%, but you have to build it wherever I tell you. Do you promise? Uh, and do we get to like make new developments on there and get to keep all the money from those and all the parking money and all the hot dog money? 100% of it, but you have to build it wherever I tell you to. Do you promise? I feel like this is a horrible mistake that we're about to make, but yes, we promise. Okay, you have to put it in Marlboro. No! Nancy. wonder if that would work. It's right on the train line. (laughs) (laughs) Just just to knock down, uh, what is it? I was going to say Franklin Mall, but that would show my age. What's this? Pan Pacific Plaza, I think it's called now. Oh, that yeah, where the TNT is? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Not shitting on Marlboro. Lovely neighborhood. We should all be so lucky to live in Marlboro. I lived in Marlboro for over two decades. Probably wow. three decades. Really? Yeah. You're hard. I am. <laughs> that was <Right> like- now. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. And I mean like most of the time. Brings back memories. It's, it's something I'm getting looked at, but uh <laughs> No, it's true. Uh my when my folks moved to town, uh they bought a place in Marlboro. I lived there. 
until I was in my 20s. And then I moved uh, into a rental place in Westbrook for six months with a girl. Wow. Yeah. For six months. You got for six months. <laughs> you got off easy. Well, I mean, for and, the first two months, but then after that, you had to. <laughs> <laughs> and then we, and then my parents found us a house, which was also in Marlboro. Wow. Moved back to Marlboro for five years. And then I sold that house and uh, never lived in the Northeast since. This is and typical. that woman is my aunt. No, is my <laughs> wife. <laughs> you lived, okay. I didn't realize you lived in Marlboro at that time. Yeah. Uh yeah, that's are a typical you, you, Calgary are, story. Are you reevaluating our friendship here? What's no, no, no. I was just trying to, because uh, so Dave and I, Dave and I, um, have been friends for a long time, but there's a ten year gap in between when we, because when I lived in Vancouver, like we just didn't stay in touch, right? So no, yeah, no, yeah, no we're sure. part of the same theater company. Then I left that company in 2000, and then we re, uh, well, I guess in '99, and then we became pals again. When I moved back to Calgary in 2007. Right. So uh, I was just trying to think of like, what happened in those seven years? Where did – I was trying to place it, trying to connect the dots, you see. See. Yeah. Uh, we So our son is 13. So we have been in this house 15 years. So it would have been 2002-ish when we moved to right. the Northwest. Yeah, it's kind of fun. This is like a Calgarian hobby is to think of the city in different time frames, right? So when somebody's like, oh, yeah, no, I moved here in 98. And you go, okay, uh, let's see. The southernmost neighborhood was Sundance. <laughs> uh, there was no overpass at Anderson and McLeod. Like you can kind of do that. This is why I like those archive photos that the Glenbow has. Where it's oh, yeah, kind of yeah. like, you know, like there's, there's a, you know, a whole bunch of like canvas tents and then the Palliser Hotel is like the tallest building. <laughs> You're like, wow. Hey, I have a fun uh, Calgary story to share with you unless mm-hmm. you got more on the flames or the election that you want no, to talk about. I, I do want to talk about racism in just a sec and how racist oh, well, let's we do, are. Let's do that first. No, no. I want to hear your fun Calgary story. You can't just oh, like okay. leave that hanging there. Okay. Okay. So – there was a story today, uh, and uh, it got picked up on Reddit, which should probably give you some heads up as to where we're heading with this. Uh, but so this was a Facebook story by a man named Harry Francis Smith. Do you know who Harry Francis Smith is? No. Would it help if I said his father's name was Davy Boy? Oh, okay. Go on. So. <laughs> I believe he wrestles. Harry wrestles under the name Davy Boy Smith Jr. I believe. Okay, I was going to say, so, how could your dad ever be Davy Boy? <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Okay, so I'm just going to read you straight up the story, and I'll include emojis as best I can because <laughs> okay. this was a Facebook post. Okay, bring it on. And I'm going to I present this without uh, comment until later when I will comment. Um, so he says, wow, uh, surprise face, surprise face, less surprised face. What a day. First of all, life is a precious thing. I saved a life today and I was grateful that I was able to do so. Uh, hands praying, I guess, is the emoji there or clapping. Looks like praying. Okay. Uh, when driving up 16th Avenue bon- uh, past Bonus Road in Calgary, I saw a girl crying and hanging off the bridge with someone trying to talk to her. Uh, I'm not sure what that emoji is. It's like sweating face maybe or nervous. Uh, I'm going to stop doing the emojis now. Uh, 
I stopped and jumped the barricade and tried talking to the girl, and she was crying an emotional mess and threatening to jump if I got closer. With people on the ground waving her not to jump, I decided to grab a hold of her and not taking any chances. She started to slide and wanted to go more as I grabbed a hold of her. Luckily, my years of grappling and self-defense, I knew how to grab her hard and I knew how to pull her up from hanging off and jumping. She, she wasn't exactly small either. I knew not to grab her clothing because she would have ripped through it. When I yanked her off the bridge, I established the mount position as you do in grappling and did not let her budge. She also said she had a gun too. Uh, surprise face, surprise face. She was crying and she said she wanted a hug. But as much as I wanted to hug her, I told her I couldn't hug her because she said she'd had a gun. And then she squirmed and demanded I get off her. I told her, miss, you're not going to move unless I want you to. I'm an expert grappler and you're not going to shoot me. Well, get your help. Life is a precious thing and I'm here to help you. I held her until the police came and the police thanked me for my help. They cuffed her and have her under arrest to get the help she greatly needs. It's very scary sight off the bridge, but I'm glad I really, it's a very scary sight off the bridge, but I'm really glad I saved a life. Life is a precious thing. Never take it for granted. I'm glad there I was there at service to help someone and my years of grappling, like he goes on and on about the grappling. Right. right? And if I wasn't there and been, you know, I hadn't been able to, et cetera, et cetera. So then he posts a picture and this is a picture that someone else took. And it's literally a picture of the woman on the ground and there's someone holding her down. I don't believe it's him that's holding her down unless uh, there's three men there. And I'm not sure which one of them is actually Smith jr. And then there's a one with the police uh, peace officer talking to them. Okay. So that's the story. Okay. Need that in the okay. show notes, by the way, the link to that story in the show notes. Yeah. Okay. Um, so what's your take? Give me your take before I give you anything further about you know the, the the after story. What's your take on that story? Okay. First of all, I thought it was one of the most bizarre humble brags I've ever heard in my life. Uh, but the one thing that I – so, I'm, you know, anyway, I'll get back to that in a sec. For some reason, I started thinking about the gym teacher teaching the wrestling unit. And he's like, all right, look, get those uh, stupid looking plastic things on your ears and put on a unitar. Here we go. We're going to learn to grapple properly. You never know when you're going to need to save someone's life. All right, boys. And they're, they're all like 12-year-old boys in that like really skinny, awkward phase, you know, and they're, and they're standing there with their knees together and their arms folded because they're embarrassed to be wearing, you know, skimpy gym clothes. <laughs> all right, look, first of all, get your head right in there next to it. Like, just, just press your head against his hips and squeeze him by the waist and you never know when you're going to need to save a life using these skills. These are very precious. Life is precious. Get those shoulders on the ground, son. <laughs> That's all I can think about. Uh, so the reason I brought this story up is uh, because of the response that it got on the on our Calgary, which is the Calgary subreddit. They're all shitting on him, aren't they? What's that? They're all shitting on him for like bragging about using wrestling skills to forcibly detain a woman in what looks like a hump position. That's what it is. Right? I haven't seen this. This is my prediction. It's a whole bunch of people shitting on a wrestling icon for basically like tooting his own horn on the internet. You are 80% correct. Okay. <laughs> uh, so the, the top comment, I feel like this should be, this could be such a great and uplifting story, but the way he tells it, he still comes off like a douche who did something awesome for someone else. Yeah. Um, uh, oh, he posted his picture on his Twitter rant of her, uh, how great he is. Classy. Uh, like the casual mention of how fat she was too fat to be saved by her clothes face palm. And I'm reading this and I'm just like, Holy shit. Like, 
Okay. He was a little self-congratulatory. Absolutely. I will give you that. But the point of the story is he saved this woman from dying. And you're more concerned about the fact that he's quote unquote body shaming her by putting a picture. Because you know what the picture would have been if he wasn't there? It would have been her lying in the back of someone's truck after she'd smashed through it. That's what the picture would have been. And that's a little body shaming too. And I was just like, what the fuck is going on here? You know, but I get the other side though, Dave. Like (laughs) this is why the president of the United States reads out like the com- the commendation for the medal of honor right like can you imagine if it was the other way around if like a guy got up there hi my name is uh private uh you know john reeves uh first class private reeves uh it was a rainy day in uh, normandy and uh, <laughs> i stormed the beach <laughs> And like told about his bravery first person. I was pinned down by Nazi gunfire and determined to you know, cover my brigade as they stormed the hill. <laughs> here's, here's a couple more. When the only tool you have is a hammer, every problem is a nail. It was unpleasant and unnecessary for this brute to pin this woman down and probably added to the weight of pain she feels. Of course, if he wasn't there, she would have felt a lot more pain for about eight seconds. Right. That's actually impractical. The reason why the police put her in handcuffs, because uh, that's what he said, right? They cuffed her and arrested her and got her the help she needs. Yeah. So that she's not a threat to herself. So yeah. like, I, I like it. But those are the same people who are like, shoot the gun out of his hand. Why don't you shoot him in the leg? It's like, shut up. <laughs> Wait, what? So he goes and posts a picture of her in distress at an all-time low? No concern for her privacy. <laughs> no, you're so a little busy, uh, you know, saving her life at the time. I, I mean, I get it. I can see where they're coming from. But this is this this to me, in a nutshell, is where things are heading online. Like, it's not going to matter what the point of things were anymore. It's the microcosm now. Sure. We're more worried about body shaming and putting this woman's picture on the internet than the fact that this guy saved her life. That her picture would have been on the internet either way, but it would have been an obituary otherwise. That's right. I do like that line. Oh, he's not concerned about her privacy. She's not either. (laughs) She wasn't trying to privately jump on a private road. This is a story I need to remember the next time someone disagrees with me on Reddit. And I'm like, what the hell? How can someone possibly think that way? Now I know why. Okay. Yeah. Mind you, I got to say though, like if I'm Davy Boy Smith, I'm not, I might go life is precious and leave it at that and do that vague booking thing. Yeah. Well, what happened, Davy? Davy, talk to us. Yeah, talk to us, Davy. Love, what happened? Love emoticon. Oh, <laughs> ho- hope you're okay. All the feels. But like, you know, the whole life is precious. I saved a life today. Like you should never, ever utter the phrase, I saved a life. You should have friends who are like, fuck, Dave saved a life today. <laughs> and then it's yeah, like, no, that's a good point. Yeah. Tell us, Dave. No, no, I don't. I don't want it. But that's – see, isn't that the problem though? Shouldn't you be able to say something like that? Holy shit, guys. I, I saved someone's life today. If you're and a that doctor shouldn't a, that shouldn't be bragging. That should be like, holy shit, well done, you know? Yeah, but it's like if look, if you sprung into action, and I'm not saying that's what this is, but um I met this guy in Vancouver who saved two lives. And he's not here to tell the story. So I'll do it for you. And it'll sound a lot better than that Davy Boy Smith thing you just heard. <laughs> but uh, not that you just heard, but that that was just posted. Anyway, no, this guy saw two people in in a course of several months. 
uh, jump off the Granville Street Bridge in Vancouver. And he was a waiter on a patio that had like a dock uh, patio, basically. And so he heard the splash, saw what happened, and then he jumped in and pulled the person. He was a strong swimmer, pulled him to shore and saved their life, right? So he did that twice in like a period of several months. Anyway, um, the guy was like inundated with pussy. Okay. Uh, like so cat, cats were all over him? All, oh, nonstop, right? Because there's a feral feline uh, problem in, in Vancouver. And in the neighborhood he lived. Anyway, that's not really part of the story, Dave. So I'm going to just go back to um, what I'm saying is that like this guy had to have that story like beaten out of him. So here's a dude who saved two bridge jumpers and both times and like you bring it up with him. He's like, yeah, no, I just, uh, it was a crazy day. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> that's pretty much it. No, come on. That's crazy. You saved two people's lives. Yeah. You know, you'd have done the same thing if uh, you had the opportunity. <laughs> like, I'm not so sure. But my point is, is that, is that if you see somebody who's in some sort of distress, you know, are you the kind of person who's compelled to help them or do you shout, jump, jump, jump? <laughs> well, and the, the take I took on this was that I, in my brain, he wrote this five minutes later, right? Okay. When the adrenaline, adrenaline is still pumping, he's jacked. <laughs> I love that he mentions grappling at least three times. <laughs> Fucking grappling. <laughs> It'd be better if you went even more in depth, though, right? I saved her life. As she was falling, I managed to put her in a half Nelson, which is a very secure hold. <laughs> as as I got, I got her safely on the ground as we waited for help to arrive. My Boston crab ensuring that she was not a threat to herself. <laughs> the suplex was unnecessary, but so fulfilling. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that someone in that cell administers her a million dollar dream. She could use some rest. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> uh, the only other headline I wanted to share with you, uh, and this is my own personal uh, thing, and I can't go more than a week without talking about it, but uh, there was another uh, Reddit uh, Canada headline I saw, and it was, uh, we're seeing a very noticeable negative trajectory. Polls show trouble on the horizon for liberals over more nose mess, says Nanos. Wow. So funny. apparently we're starting to see the, uh, the, the tail end of the, uh, all the recent trouble that our finance minister has had. Uh, for, you know, creating a corporate tax shelter in Alberta, the Bahamas, and the south of France. Yeah, he's in the Panama Papers. It's This is just so ridiculous. And liberals, particularly in Ontario, are just so fucking full of themselves that they can't get through this. Like, you know, let me ask you a question. Can you think of well, – let me just make a statement actually, not even ask you a question. But <clears throat> nobody who works in finance with a – a high degree of success would become a politician unless, <laughs> right? So like, why is, what is, was Bill Morneau just struck with the need to serve the public? Like these guys are just in it for themselves. And it's so hilarious to me that the ones who ascend to power in the, uh, on the progressive side of things, it's like that liberals keep falling for it, man. This guy's a prick. I love, by the way, too. Sorry. Let me just no, – no, you go ahead because I'm going to change the subject. What were you going to say? No, I was just going to say that I, it wouldn't shock me in the slightest if I woke up, woke up tomorrow and saw an, uh, a story saying that you know Morneau had bought a controlling interest in the Royal Canadian Mint and that the liberals were floating a policy where they wanted to bring back the penny. 
<laughs> so the, the 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 insanity in all this, like ah fuck, I I lost my train of thought because it's so baffling and befuddling. But I mean, the guy like Trudeau went to, uh, like you said, he went to the private island with the Aga Khan. Morneau's, you know, knee deep in this stuff. Forgot to disclose or didn't bother to disclose the uh, the house in the south of France. He's caught up in the Panama Papers. Like these guys are just not legit. They're not like the dream. And then, oh, this is what I was going to say, by the way. Then what's the latest thing? Like the, they're going, they're taking tax benefits away from diabetics. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So remember what it was? It was like, we got to rein in these small businesses, these income sprinklers, which is doctors and lawyers and farmers or doctors and farmers, I guess I should say. And that pissed all of them off. So they had to walk that one back. And then they're going after the employee discounts so that, you know, you can't, you got to pay taxes on your half price pizza. If you're a you know waiter in a restaurant and now they're doing this thing with the diabetics and it's like, it's pretty obvious, right? They bought that election with the whole, oh, whatever, we're just going to spend $10 billion a year. It doesn't matter what we're going to spend it on. We're going to go and have a deficit of $10 billion a year. Well, they clearly have to find the money somewhere. So they're just basically taxed the CRA or whoever with like, hey, come up with this cash somewhere. And now they're just throwing anything at the wall and seeing if it'll stick. Hey, what about children's prosthetics? You know, how badly do they need those? So I watched the CFL. That kid's not going to play pro football. He doesn't need that. He doesn't need that uh, extra leg, that fake leg. Fuck. What if we just go back to pirate style? Hey, hey, Bluebeard. <laughs> like, seriously, that's what's next. Well, and then early, I can't remember if it was last week or the week before, but they came out and they announced, oh, hey, you know what we're going to do is uh, we're going to lower the uh, the small business income tax rate. Right? Right. Hey, that's fantastic for me. I'm going to I'm going to save a couple percent. I'm going to save a uh, 0.5% starting in January. And then next year I'm going to save another, you know, percent or so that's fantastic. But, but the problem I'm having now is people are saying, Oh, we should be congratulating the liberals for doing this. And my thought is, well, the, the conservatives floated this idea like three years ago, right? They were talking about doing this. Uh, but if you say that they'll say, Oh, well, sure. Why didn't they do that when they're in power? Then they were never going to do it. But the liberals said they were going to do it when they won the election. It's been two years. They decided not to do it. And now, all of a sudden, since their last couple of test balloons have got blown out of the sky <laughs> by the farmers shooting at them, uh, this is what they're throwing out there. But I, you know what? I don't know. I don't know if anybody's buying it anymore. It's like, great. Thank you. Still not voting for you. Yeah. I, if I were them, I would really stick to the touchy-feely stuff. Like, you know – just get caught for the next three years having your picture taken with with uh, people who look like they're underprivileged or – you know what I mean? Like just find good photo ops. Even the guy – I don't know. Just every time I see Trudeau these days, I just want to slap him. Like the way he – okay. Okay. There's You probably don't know too many people who are bigger tragically hip fans than me, do you? I would say no. Okay. And he's fucking on TV bawling because Gord Downey died. Now, I get it. Okay, I've always said that guy's the poet laureate of Canada and a national treasure, and it's a huge loss for culture in this country. I'm not taking anything away from that. Beloved, beloved musician and artist. All I'm saying is I kind of want my prime minister okay, to look like he's got his shit together and fucking come out. Like when they fucking attacked parliament. Did you see Stephen Harper? Stepping up to the mic and oh, you fucked and nearly got us. Oh shit! Like no, 
right? You need to have, you need to channel your Churchill there and just be like, this country needs a stiff upper lip, a strong chin, a sturdy backbone. And he can come out and he can go, Canada lost an icon today. Gordownia. And he can even toss in all the stuff that he that he did to like build himself up and make himself part of the story. Great friend of mine. Wonderful friend of mine. I mean, let's just be clear. Um, multi-platinum recording artist and and chum and friend, right? Um iconic. He was a big fan of Bill Morneau. Uh, I should say that. <laughs> loved he loved Gord Downey loved Canada. He loved telling Canada's stories, and he loved the proposed tax changes that this government has made. <laughs> uh, right, and so like, do all that, but like, for fuck's sakes, like, don't come out red-eyed and like, oh, guys, now I'm going to look really emotional here. I, and I'm sorry, but if you think that that wasn't calculated, like, I guarantee that there was a moment back you know, behind the door where, where somebody said, "Hey, should you go out like this? It's like, should we put the jacket on?" Like, like, fuck, man, it's just so calculated and so, like, theatrical. And that shit pissed me off so much that he was like, oh, yeah, I just want them to know that I was the guy who was emotional when when, uh, when bad shit happened. And, yeah, okay, sure, cool. Obama cried a little bit when a whole bunch of kids got cut down at a church or at a school. A little fucking different. Guys, uh, I'm going to go out. I'm going to do the downy thing. Uh, should, I, uh, should I take my shirt off or uh, what do you think? <laughs> Just, uh, we're going to go, uh, uh, JT, we're going to go loose tie, top button undone. Uh, rub some salt, Peter. Does anyone have some salt, Peter, to rub in his eyes? Rub some salt, Peter, in your eyes. Guys, I just waxed. I could totally do this shirtless. <laughs> uh, okay, let's let's actually test the shirt off. Can we get some corn oil? Let's get some corn oil. <laughs> uh, so speaking of party leaders and, uh, and, uh, and I was going to say masculinity, but we really weren't. Um, uh, they had a video. Uh, I can't even remember where I saw it, but it was it was Jagmeet Singh. Yeah, okay? uh, <laughs> you know him well. He's played for the Calgary Flames. Played for the Flames at number sixty eight, injured reserve. Is <laughs> uh, the new leader of the NDP party, of course. And you can't say that. They, nope, you got a penalty flag on the play. You oh, can't say NDP party. It's like saying AIDS virus or whatever. Oh right, right. Yeah. Sorry, the NDP. And just leave it hanging. You got to leave it there. Uh, so they were showing him putting his turban on, right? Right. Really? Right? Wait, so what? Really? I didn't yeah. see this. I got yeah, to find this. I, I, I have to – I'll see if I can find it. We can throw it in the show notes. But it's, it's sort of like a, you know, a, a slice of life, uh, you know, guy in the street kind of thing. And they were showing him uh, you know, take, basically taking his hair, which is quite long, and wrapping it and then putting the turban on over it. And it was, it was interesting because as you know, someone who's really never seen people put a turban on before, it was super interesting. But the one thing I kept coming back to was like, this guy looks like a beast when he doesn't have his hair wrapped up, right? He's got this big long hair. It's like a Jason Momoa thing going on. Sorry, hang on a second. I'm, I'm, I'm getting through the ad to this video here when I get to watch this. <laughs> this is the one you're talking about? I don't know because I can't see it. <laughs> no, but it, was it an English language video? It was, yes, it was in English, the story, I believe. Okay, I'm not going to watch this. But yeah. So, anyways, yeah, it was just him in his. So, I'm assuming in his dressing room or his bedroom, and maybe he has a house big enough to have a dressing room. I have no idea. Um, and just re- bit like wrapping the turban and t- talking to people about how it works and and why it's worn and that kind of thing. It was an interesting story. But the thing that I took away from it was like, dude, and I know this is against religion, and I don't want to sound like I'm being racist when I say this, but 
You know, if you were walking around with the hair out and showing people that, you'd be getting so many more folks. People would be like, I want that guy. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, I don't really know the turban, uh, like the custom behind the turban all that well. I thought it was uh, – uh, Sikhs, Sikhs believe hair is uh, – their hair is sacred, I believe. Right. I'm kind of guessing here, but I think I'm on the So right it's not – my understanding is they don't cut it. That's my understanding too. And then like same with the beard, right? Like any hair. Right. Um, and it's so that's wrapped underneath and it's I'm, – I'm going to go out on a limb because again, I don't know. But the idea is to, is to sort of hide it from you know view, right? Well, yeah. Okay, so that was my assumption, and then you tell me the story about how he's on the internet now wrapping his hair in a turban, and I kind of thought that I thought that was sacred, but I don't know, and I don't know enough either. And we're going to sound like a couple of white idiots here who don't know their <laughs> well, religions. No, you know what? But I think there's a there's a a learning point here is that yeah. it's kind of neat to be introduced to stuff. Um. And now I'm kind of curious to know more about that. So I'm actually going to go out and find out. So the next time I talk about this, I won't sound like a fucking moron. Instead, I'll be able to tell you what's up. So, so yeah, well, if I can find the video, like I said, we'll throw it up in the show notes. And if not, we'll find someone else who's doing it to show you what it looks like. Yeah. But yeah, that was my takeaway. It was like, yeah, this guy looks like a real badass when he's when he's unwrapped, if you will. Yeah, it's a very racist thing of you to say. It it kind of is, I think, but I think it's uh, meant you, well. You'd never say that about a white man. Let me clip my throat. Yeah. Which brings us to, Dave, this piece that Jeremy Clasis wrote in the uh, Walrus, or for the Walrus, I should say. Uh, late Monday night after winning his third term as mayor of Calgary, a tired Nahid Nenshi delivered his trademark speech at a popular downtown beer hall. Quote, for thousands of years, people have been coming to this place. This place, the Blackfoot call Mokinstitsis, the place where two rivers meet. They've been coming here to hunt and fish and trade, to live, to love, end quote. His supporters screamed and cheered at the familiar words. Blah, 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 blah. Goes on and on to say uh, that the headline of this article is how Nahid Nenshi's tense reelection forces us to confront Canadian racism. And I read the piece with interest because I wanted to know how this moment in Calgary municipal politics forces the nebulous us to confront Canadian racism and why we waited so long. Why is racism suddenly now unacceptable? That it was this hard-fought election in Calgary in uh, October of 2017 that finally forced us to confront our racism. And by the way, what exactly is our racism? <clears throat> it's just – this is the kind of I, – I read this and thought to myself, this is about 90% bullshit. And the 10% not bullshit I'm reserving because there is racism in our country. There's certainly racism in our city. But I don't think that this election – um, was the grand indicator that Calgary is just a racist enclave and it needs to get over itself. Because I think that we proved long ago, and I don't, when I say long ago, I don't mean 2010 when we first elected Nahid Nenshi, that we're not a racist enclave. I mean like long, long ago when Calgarians realized that we're going to be a whole lot further along in this world if we view people for the strengths and benefits that they give to the collective as opposed to just casting them away for some superficial reason that uh, really uh, highlights our insecurity. 
That was quite a long time ago. So when Calgary and, – and by the way, the first people in this area or at least among the first people in this area that cast racism aside were the ones who traded with and collaborated with First Nations people who were already living in this area to hunt and to fish as Nahid Nitschi says in that article and who recognized that, hey, these are the people who know this land and who are probably going to be uh, happy to have us if we can uh, uh, you know, live harmoniously together on Treaty 7 lands. All right, and then along comes John Ware, a cattle farmer from the from Texas, who I believe brought the Texas Longhorn breed of cattle to this part of the world. And, and best last name ever. I don't think you two are related, though, are you? We have the same last name, Roger. <laughs> That's where it ends. John had an unfortunate nickname, uh, which might have uh, uh, been acceptable in the latter part of the 19th century. It certainly wasn't in the 20th or the 21st century. But his nickname was the N-word. And there was a ridge called N-word John Ridge uh, in this province as well. Uh, so, sorry. Sorry. His his nickname was literally n Space W-O-R-D, by the way. We don't want to be confused here. Yeah, because they were still uncomfortable with the actual N-word at the time. So so anyway, so John Ware, right, who was a black uh, uh, rancher, uh, uh, you know, cowhand, a, a black, uh, you know, pioneer, uh, came up to this part of the world and was accepted. You know, so it's sort of like, you know, look, there's racism all over the world. And there's – and racism looks different depending on where you go. You know, in Japan, there's a lot of racism. They want to try to protect the Japanese uh, genealogy, if you will. And so there's like racism there. If a Japanese girl starts dating a white boy, it's a real problem. Uh, when I was in Vietnam, just as a tourist, you could see people ridiculing me because I was tall and white and had a big nose. Uh, and that's racist, right? <clears throat> and in Calgary, I got told that um, white people are born a bit racist, which is racist. That statement is actually racist, which is the most fucked up thing about that statement. Saying that white people are born racist is a racist statement. <laughs> and if you can't understand that, you're not qualified to try to tell me what white people are born as. Anyway, I back up. So look, this election doesn't force us to confront our racism. We should be constantly vigilant to espouse why not having racist attitudes is better for all of us. In the same way that allowing women to have equal opportunity is better for all of us. I say that in the context of countries that don't think girls should go to school. They should look at countries where girls do go to school and go, holy fuck, they live in buildings with electricity and we live in caves. <laughs> right? So anyway, I just think that I look at an article like this and I'm like – Fuck, man, I get it. This is some real good, you know, claptrap for for liberals to lap up and for like the the millennial progressive to go, yeah, I feel guilty. Uh, you know, I should uh, I I need to have a little bit of self-loathing. But shit, man, I just think that articles like this take our dialogue, that like really productive dialogue that we've had on this front for decades now and send it back five years or at least hit the pause button. Yeah, I, I read this article. You brought this to my attention and I started reading through it and I got out halfway and I, I kept just going, well, that's some bullshit. Oh, and there's some more bullshit. Um, so the, the, the idea that uh, that all the progressives in town and progressive is the new name for left or liberal, right? All the progressives voted for Nancy and all the conservatives voted for Bill Smith. Well, that's bullshit right away. Okay. I, I don't think that's right. I think, first of all, uh, 
city politics are not provincial politics. Provincial politics are not federal politics. It's the one really cool thing about being Canadian is that unlike Americans, you don't vote the party line all the way up and down the ticket. You might have different opinions provincially than you do federally. And I bet you there's a hell of a lot of us who do. You might vote liberal for your, you know, your provincial government and you might turn around and vote conservative for your federal. That's entirely possible because we're not that beholden to the idea of party. And the last thing many of us, I'm not going to say most of us because I don't want to speak for everybody, but the last thing many of us want to see is the idea that, oh, now we have to consider our mayoral candidates to be, you know, conservative and liberal and NDP. I don't want to see any of that stuff in my in my mayor. I want my mayor to make the choices that are good for my city, not because he's beholden to some party that's off in the other part of the country, right? So to say that, oh, all, all conservatives voted for Smith, it's absolutely 100% bullshit, okay? I'll, I'll admit that many of them probably did, and hopefully not just because he seemed to be a conservative candidate, because I don't see anything conservative about the guy. He was the guy who wanted to, you know, reopen the flames debate and probably give them more money where where and then she was saying hey let's uh let's close up shop here we're not going to open up the purse strings that's arguably a pr- pretty conservative way to go right i yeah i think that's a great argument like i, I think that kind of sums it all up um that at the municipal level in particular well no hang on not even in particular at all levels you see decidedly illiberal or unconservative um Decisions being made by those those politicians who claim to be liberal or those politicians who claim to be conservative. Giving money to private enterprise, that's not a conservative economic value. Like there's, there's, there's nothing in the Milton Friedman school that says you should take money from, from citizens who've earned it and distribute it to corporations. There's, there's, that's just not there, the notion of corporate welfare. And so you know when, when Stephen Harper wrote the check to – uh, was it Chrysler or General Motors? General Motors, I think. And it was just sort of like, well, what's conservative about this? Right? Or like when Stephen Harper cut the consumption tax instead of cutting income tax, you just sort of went, well, wait, what's conservative about this? So it happens on all sides. But no, you're absolutely right. To, to say that I'm the conservative choice in this election and I will do whatever it takes to keep the flames in town, that's not a conservative – like those two are at odds with each other. Those two mm. statements. I mean, the, the the headline to this, and this is this is an opinion column, so we should take that at face value first. This is someone's opinion. Fair enough. Uh, the, the The headline is how Naid Nenshi's tense reelection forces us to confront Canadian racism. Well, I could just as easily write an editorial called uh, "Calgary election proves everyone in everyone in city staunchly conservative," and you know how I'm going to back that up. Because progressive people want change. Progressive people want to try new things. And you know what the city of Calgary did in this last election? They had voted back in every single incumbent, every single one of them. Okay. There was nobody who was upset in this election. Every single member of, of uh, council that had a seat before and wanted one again, got it back, baby. The only four, what the four wards were people who were either gone or new or redistricted. So that's what the city of Calgary is all about. We're all about keeping things exactly the same way. Uh, I love it. I love it. That's the play of the day right there. Um, can I, I want to play your how I would write it. If I, like, I'm not trying to one-up you. I just kind of want to no, jo- no, join no. in the fun. Out, I would write it this way. Calgary has never been more progressive than it is now. <clears throat> 
So in 2010, Nahid Nenshi won with a mere 140,000 votes. And at that time, he didn't capture the popular vote. Only 39.6% of uh, voters chose him. Now, in stark contrast, in 2013, he got 193,000 votes. And would you be surprised to know that that wasn't even his high watermark? That he got a full 199,000 votes in this last election. So there has never been a time when he has enjoyed uh, more support than he did in this last election. Why that landmark, you know, victory in 2010 was his worst performance ever in an election. He simply did not capture the minds of voters like he has in this last election. I think it's a remarkable, uh, a, a remarkable tale to tell. Uh, and yet at yeah. the same time, Roger, are you telling me that uh, – so what Sorry, what was the number in the, uh, the 2000 and – was it three or seven? Or? The first time around that he the won? The first time around. Yeah, give me those numbers again. Sure, 140,000. Do you want the, the win, place, and show in that election? I want the I want the combined against and how many he got. Well, he got 140,000 and if we only okay. take Rick McIver and Barb Higgins who they say split the conservative vote, then that was uh 203,000 voters who voted that okay. way. Yeah. So if you were saying, "Oh, Calgary's a conservative town, we just split the vote on that one." Then how do you explain this last election? Smith didn't get 203,000 votes. Right? I, no, no he didn't. Get? <laughs> he got 100 and, uh, 169, just, yeah, just shy of 170,000. So, I mean, we can't say for sure because we can't track people's votes. But would it, would you say it stands to reason that some of those people that voted for people other than Nenshi in that first election probably turned around and voted for him in this last election? You'd have to think so. I mean – I mean, obviously, there's different people and different things going on, but wouldn't you say some of those people would have had to have in order for those numbers to come out the way they did? Yes. So, by that register, by that measure alone, we would have to conclude that some conservative voters voted for Nahed Nenshi in this last election where there was a conservative candidate against him. True yeah. or false? True. Correct. True. It's absolutely, absolutely true. true. You shut your pie hole if you think otherwise. <laughs> so, I mean, look, this isn't supposed to be some loving for uh, for any one particular politician, but it's just, it's like, it, it, it reminds me of this, uh, this short story in my grade eight language arts textbook. Where it was just sort of designed uh, to show you how you can play with words, manipulate words to to alter people's perspective on something, right? And it's a story about a two-horse race run between the owner of the pub and the owner of the newspaper. And the owner of the pub uh, won the race. The owner of the newspaper came in second. And the headline the next day said, uh, owner of newspaper finishes second in, uh, uh, in close race. Pub owner finishes next to last. <laughs> right. So you get the joke. And so it's sort of like you can frame this however you want. The mayor has never enjoyed uh, – the mayor of Calgary has never enjoyed as many votes as he collected in this last election. And in fact, he's added to his tally each time. Um, and as Dave put it, that, that indicates that A, um, people are more, as in, more enthusiastic than ever to vote for a Muslim mayor in Calgary. Because they don't give a shit about that. That's not why they why they went to vote for him. And B, that conservatives are clearly – people who d would identify themselves as conservative uh, are clearly putting their support behind Nahid Nenshi. So 
That's just how it is. Well, and and interestingly, uh, Mr. Klex, Klesis, Klazis. Klazis. Uh, he's a good dude. Klazis. I like that guy. Okay, fair enough. I mean, I don't know him from, from anyone else on the street. I wouldn't know him if I bumped into him. All I'm saying is his article is kind of poorly written and it's sort of bullshit. I don't know his website. I don't know the sprawl other than they've been sort of saying, yeah, we're so independent. I haven't really read much of it. Uh, so I'm not going to speak to the, the site itself or the concept, but this – this opinion article is kind of bullshit uh, and his opinion is fine. The way he's backing it up is, is contradictory in its own logic. He, on one hand, he's saying, Oh, well you can tell Calgary's racist because they voted, uh, you know, uh, Ward Sutherland back in after he made a racist slur. Right. And, uh, uh, but then on the other hand, we have like Sean Chu got back in and then she got back in. So which is it? Right. If you're racist, then she doesn't get back in. If Calgary's racist, then she doesn't win. But he did win. Word Sutherland won. Sean Chu won. So if you're going to say anything, it's what I just said. Calgary likes the people they already had in charge. They don't like voting for new people. They're not, they get confused when they see different names on the ballot. And they just want the guy who's in charge to be still in charge. Calgary, Calgarians seem to be pretty happy with the direction things are going. That's what I'm gleaning from this election. Because if they weren't happy with the way things were going, they would have voted out the people who made it that way. And they didn't 100%. <laughs> All right. I want to leave it at that. Do you want to uh, lighten the mood a little bit and talk about some telly? We can talk about television. <laughs> watch out. Watch out. Watch out watching. You're watching TV. What are you watching, Dave? Where? Oh, God. What am I not watching? Uh, I made it through all of Arrested Development again this week because uh, we talked about it so much that I went back and watched it. And again, still finding new and fun things every time I go through it. Uh, just just a brilliant little show. Uh, I can't recommend it enough, and I'm not going to recommend it again. If you haven't watched already, that's your own problem. Man, I'm in a mood now, Roger. Yeah, you I'm are. I like it. You're you're pepped up. You've got some like uh, your endorphins are flowing. I feel like you'd be nice. a beast on the on the squash court right now. <laughs> uh, I uh, so over the summer, I decided that I should stop paying for for my satellite TV, uh, and so I have I do like the Usenet thing now. Okay, uh, I don't know what that means. All right, so I uh, belong. I pay uh, money to belong to a, a group. Uh, of Usenet, which is a bunch of boards where people put things and then you can take those things and download them to your own house. Okay. I, that's like the first internet, isn't it? Sorry, it's I'm really sort of, I'm totally yeah, ignorant. Yeah, no, no, Usenet is very old. Absolutely. Okay. Um, so without getting into too, too many details, uh, so now I'm forced to basically download a bunch of shows. Uh, and I say force because I, I chose to. Uh, <laughs> so it's, it's a choose force, really. Right. Anyways, uh, so started watching uh this season just decided to check in uh walking dead had started up again for the year and uh now just basically going oh this is a soap opera if you think of it as a soap opera with zombies it's the best show around because <laughs> it's so like melodramatic and uh the the poster that they put up for this season i think you're onto something uh, with that soap opera with zombies by the way but go on yeah yeah uh, so they have a, like a, a, a season poster that they put up and there's like 85 characters on the poster and I was just like, uh, and the poster's terrible. It looks like a like a like a nineteen eighties movie poster. I'll see if I can find a version. Yeah, of I gotta find this. this. 
But uh, yeah, uh, so I watched it and uh, now I, I just pretty much hate watching isn't even the right term anymore. It's just <laughs> just watching to, to see what's going to happen next, just a sort of train wreckiness of it. And it started me thinking about the concept of, uh, uh, you know, like the, the jump the shark moment, right? Okay. So this was a phrase that was made popular on the internet a few years back when someone decided that the point which Happy Days started getting terrible was the episode where where Henry Winkler as the Fonz uh, jumped over a shark. It was like an event thing, right? Right. <clears throat> Interestingly, uh, Henry Winkler being a character on Arrested Development, uh, there's a scene in it where they're uh, they're talking down by the dock and there's a dead shark on the dock and he literally jumps over it <laughs> at one point. Okay. Uh, and we talked about this before, I think. Uh, so when they brought in another lawyer, because Henry Winkler plays a lawyer on the show, they brought in another lawyer. It was played by Scott Baio. Uh, in the same so, way that so you had like Chachi. the Joni Love Chachi thing going on there? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. 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 And then uh, in the fourth season, which was the Netflix season, uh, they did some flashbacks. And they showed uh, that, like the George and, and Lucille when they were younger. And so they have Henry Winkler's character. But he's much younger as well, and he's played by Henry Winkler's son. In that. Oh, neat. So I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, anyways, all of that's a giant uh, curve off to the path that we don't <laughs> even go down. So the point was uh, jumping the shark. So it's like, what is the moment where a show jumps the shark, right? Yeah. So for you, I know you're you're not a Walking Dead fan anymore. I know you did watch it. I know you don't watch it anymore. It's because it jumped the shark for me. Because it jumped the shark. So yeah. w- for you, where where did that point happen, I guess, is the question. Okay. Uh, I have to think back because it's been a long time since I gave up on The Walking Dead. And you have to understand something. I was like so interested in loving The Walking Dead. Okay. You know, like I, I, I wanted this so bad. I wanted to just, just bit, just eat that show for, for 15 years. But it jumped the shark for me when I think when Rick became, uh, when it became evident that he was a complete and total pussy, um, and they started asking his son to act more, right? <laughs> so, and I think this happened kind of like in the season when they were staying on the farm and they were trying to, you know, like live in the farmhouse sort of thing. So, season two. <laughs> yeah, okay. Right. So season two, right? And it's like they had this uh, – and Shane uh, – we, we we learned that Shane had slept with Rick's wife and all this. Anyway, I have no idea the exact moment, but here's what happened. It jumped the shark and instead of jumping the shark, what they could have done was killed Rick and Carl and I would love that show to this very day. I guarantee <laughs> it. All right. I so- actually tried to start a hashtag, Dave, hashtag kill Rick and it never took off. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I mean, for me, the high watermark of that show also happened in the second season, and it was that final episode of that season where uh, where Sophia, the little girl, came out of the yeah the barn as a zombie, and everyone was like, "Oh crap, what do we do now?" I think there was no better scene on that show than like acting wise. There was no intention wise. There was no better scene than that. And that was the end of that season. So you you've probably already almost given up on it by that point. But I I agree that was a great season. Who killed her? By the way, I forget if it was, it was Rick. Rick. Yeah, Rick killed her, and I was just he was the of, only one who would do it. Yeah, and I thought like, man, Rick, and I was like, Sophie, kill Rick, kill him, <laughs> and then Daryl killed them both <laughs> with one bolt. <laughs> Been awesome. Anyway, that never happened. So okay, so 
so yeah, so it's interesting to to find out when that that shark jumping moment is because for a lot of people it's the same moment, but for, you know it could be different. It's the point where you leave the show, I guess, right? Right. I uh, you know we've talked a few times about uh, Game of Thrones. You're still a big Game of Thrones fan. Yeah, how dare you? By the way, in, in I uh, used to be a big shark. Game of Thrones fan. I don't care for it anymore. Ugh. For me, do you want to know what my uh, jump the shark moment for that was? You're gonna you're gonna throw your hands in the air and you're going to be angry with me. Do you want to know what it was? Yeah. And I'm prepared to dispute, to debate you, but go for it. All right. It was the Hodor moment. I thought you were going to say that actually, that was probably <laughs> the dumbest moment in the history of that show, but that's that pretty was late. The moment where I was though. like, this is just bullshit. I am so out. <laughs> when they named the autistic giant after his last command, hold the door, hold the door. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was enough for me. I think I was kind of wavering and on the fence. I, I mean, it had a pretty pretty weak season, and actually, the season after that was even weaker, in my opinion. Um, yeah, and I haven't gone back to watch. I guess I should. I'll probably go back and catch up a little bit and see. I mean, you starting to know what's going on because everybody talks about it, and I'll probably figure out how it all ends and that kind of thing. But I just, I just like. Like I've said before, you know, I'm watching the show. It's it's an hour long. Uh, there's about 12 minutes of scenes with characters that I actually like or want to follow. And then a lot of other bullshit that I don't really care about. Yeah. You know, the problem with Game of Thrones is that it devolved into this uh, in the last season. Anyway, it devolved into this like, um, that's unbelievable. Like we watched that show to see kingdoms clashing. Right. And then they started negotiating. As though that's what we wanted to see, right? And so there was like all these episodes of, of uh, oh no, the wa- the White Walkers are real. I've seen them. No, I don't believe you. No, 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 they're a real thing. No, I don't believe you. And then the other version of that is, uh, uh, oh, come on in, just bend the knee, you know, bow to me as your king. But nope, but you can bow to me. Uh, I won't do that, but you can bow to me. Nope, you can bow to me. And it's just sort of like, are we going to fucking do anything here? Like we're we're watching people waltz in old English. It's kind of lame. <laughs> love it um the, the shark jumping is a lot easier to see when you go back right like when you're yeah. in the moment it's it's often pretty hard to figure it out you might be watching a show and going you know i used to like the show a lot more than i did uh for me it's it's it often isn't that one sort of moment that you see in the moment for me it's more like i'll think about a show and go oh you know we used to watch that every week I haven't watched it in a year like it literally just slips below your radar because you don't care enough to find out what happened next. Right. But it's hard to put your finger on the what the thing was. Like that's why it's called jumping the shark, right? Is because they kind of went back and they tried to figure out what the moment was when this show started to suck. Yeah. And so they pinpoint like, well, when Fonzie did this ridiculous thing, then that's when Happy Days, you know, kind of it, it started its decline. Uh, but it's hard to like, I don't think you can recognize it like while you're watching it. Well, maybe you did in the case of Hodor when you're like, Hodor? No, I'm out. That's it. That was dumb. <laughs> I'm I took a lot of heat for that too. I put that on the on Facebook. I was like, okay, I think this one's going to be remembered as the moment where it jumped the shark. And people were like, no, that's bullshit. This is the best show ever. And they still do that. And I'm just like, okay, guys, whatever. That was pretty dumb. But you know what? It, yeah. You're missing so some the question good, is, good was that always planned? Or was that just something somebody cleverly thought of in the moment? I think it was probably always planned. Cleverly thought came- of? What's with all the high praise for that shitty pun? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then even if it was planned out in advance, I'm like, it's still pretty weak, you guys. Yeah, super weak. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of, other, of another show. 
because I like it when you can see a show go, uh, we don't need to continue this, you know, like Mad Men. I think they got to this point with Mad Men where it was just sort of like, you know, we're just not going to write the show forever. So let's quit now. Yeah. Yeah. We're done. We're going to call it at this point and we're out. Yeah, there's something pretty brave about doing that because it's that lure of, oh, we could make so much more money. Oh, oh, Big Bang Theory could come back for another four seasons. We'll pay you guys through the nose for every one of them, you know. Yeah. But do you have anything left to say? Did you ever watch Big Bang Theory? Uh, yeah, I mean, not like uh, – uh, yeah, I've seen it. I've watched it. I've seen it. I, I appreciate it. I just didn't – it's not part of my routine. It was never part of no, my routine. No, so you, you're not going back every week to watch it. I think no. when it first started, I watched it you know, fairly regularly, probably for the first few seasons. <laughs> and then someone drew the attention – drew to my attention that this was essentially nerd blackface that I was watching. It's – Correct, right? Nerd blackface. It's probably the <laughs> softest way you could. That's hilarious. There's not uh, a lot of people I, that are brave enough to like bring invoke blackface. <laughs> anyway, and so I mean, I kind of I kind of bowed out many many years ago, but it's still on, and it's still like arguably the most popular network show on air. Right. Well, they've got huge, right? yeah, they've got that spinoff now, right? That like Young Sheldon or whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That to me is and a shark jumping in and of itself. It's just baffling to me. I mean, I, that's fine. I, I wish them well. It's great that they're all making big bags of money and stuff. But it's like, do you have anything left to say, guys, at all? Is there any reason that this show is still on other than people are making a bunch of money? Would it be braver to end the show before it sinks off into fractional ratings, right? I want that to be the new trend. I, I want um, – and, and, you know, it's impractical for networks because they basically want to find something that works and then beat the shit out of it and, until they find something else that works, right? So the, it just sort of becomes like a factory of, of producing entertainment. But um, I love the idea that, that um, time isn't a commodity. And so Netflix, for example, right? Like time's not a commodity on Netflix. They're not trying to stuff entertainment into 22-minute blocks and sell ads around it. It's a whole different business model. And so it just basically becomes like, let's create some entertaining stuff. And so then there's no need for them to just create a series in perpetuity until its its entertainment value peters out or its audience falls off. So I hope that the new normal is like um, miniseries, like The Night Manager was entirely satisfying. I don't need it to come back. I don't need them to to get um, Taylor Swift's husband or whatever his name is. Um, and house, you know, to duke it out again for another miniseries. Like I thought that that was like beautiful, nicely packaged, and then let me move on. Just find something else that's cool. It doesn't have to be the same thing. Yeah, no, really well said. Um, there was a funny moment on uh, South Park this season where the uh, the kids. I don't know if you follow South Park at all, but uh, so the kids all have uh, superhero alter egos that they created for themselves, right? Right. Uh, so Cartman is the coon. Uh, oh, so God, he's, a, really? he's he's a raccoon based superhero of course right i don't know what you were thinking i could hear him uh, saying it too it's perfect <laughs> uh and so so this season they did an episode where they were trying to create a movie franchise right, right. like a, a, mo- a movie universe and so they had planned out this is what the first you know the first arc is going to be this and then the second segment's going to look like this and so they call Netflix because they decide they want to get a couple TV shows going, you know, with their with their movie franchise, right? So there's it's a Marvel thing basically. Okay. And so they they call over to Netflix and they they have the guy from Netflix picking up the phone. And the guy answers the phone and he says, Hello, Netflix, you're greenlit. <laughs> 
That's perfect. <laughs> so they just keep drilling in that that Netflix will show absolutely show, yeah. anything. Well, fuck. I mean, like halfway through this, another Adam Sandler movie on Netflix now. Oh, is this the Meyerowitz stories? Yeah. Have you seen it? Uh, I hear great things. I haven't watched it yet. I've been trying to carve out a bit of time to check it out. Who are you hearing great things from? Uh, one of my friends from New York City said it was really good. And I've heard a couple sort of online comments that, to that effect as well. I don't uh, know. Are you are you disagreeing? Not yet. I got to see the whole thing first. I'm, you know, I'm taking it one step at a time like I do with Sandler Netflix vehicles. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's punch drug love Adam Sandler again. So it's like oh, okay. entirely lovable, charming, low status, not, you know, a zany character, just like a unfortunate character, Adam Sandler. And it's, uh, and it's Dustin Hoffman's movie. Like he just, he's, he's like really fun in it actually. Um, Hoffman, I think is like, is he kind of a forgotten about actor in a lot of ways? Do you know what I mean? I think he still picks interesting roles. I think that's his thing. I think De Niro's kind of checked out. De Niro's just just taking paychecks at this point. I think Hoffman still sort of cares what he what he's in. It seems to me that Dustin Hoffman wants to um, be creating care. Like his whole point is to create an interesting character and enjoy the the creation of the character. I don't know. I mean, I'm guessing, but I just kind of I just sort of appreciate what he brings to the screen. And Emma Thompson's really funny in it. And um, Jer- uh, uh, Ben Stiller is not uh, – it's it's weird. It's like the two most well-known comedians in it are the not funny characters. So it's, it's, And Sandler's it's got delightful. that mustache still? Yeah. Yeah. It's the, it's the same Sandler that you saw on uh, with Miley <laughs> Cyrus on, on Jimmy Fallon there. Yeah. So I'm watching that. I watched a uh, I watched the Sandler movie uh, on Netflix the other day too. Uh, that Tower Heist, him and Eddie Murphy. Yeah, if you remember this, I did not make it through that movie. It was it was okay. It wasn't great, but you know, if you're if you're a heist fan, it had a ni- nice little turn towards the end. Yeah, it maybe took a little too long to get there. I feel that there's not enough heist movies being made, and I don't know why that is. Like the. If you make a heist movie, people will surely watch it. Don't you? Isn't that a law? Like you'll make your money back, won't you? If you know. make it an interesting heist movie, I think. If there's a little twist to it. Yeah. What? What? Give me like your off the top of your head. Could you give me like your top three or top five heist movies? Uh, well, Ocean's Eleven has to be on the list. Sure. I don't know whether it's the it's the uh, uh, Frank and Dean version or the uh, the uh, probably the newer one. Uh, Italian Job. Okay, sure. Again, another Again. remake. Yeah, older the new one. It's hard to say. You got Charlize Theron in the new one, so that's all yeah. I well, in anything with Charlize Theron, you're doing okay, really. Uh, as you know, she is my favorite uh, African American <laughs> actress. So. Right. Love her. Uh, <laughs> Just a tribute to her heritage. Uh, Thomas Crown Affair. Yeah, yeah. See, that's I always have a hard time putting that in as a heist movie. But it is a heist movie. Well, it is. There's a giant heist and it's pulled off right near the end of the movie, right? Again, I give you uh, uh, another remake there too, right? You've got – Yeah, interesting. So all these good movies are the ones that are getting remade. Mm. Right. What else is on the list? I don't know. I'm stuck at those three. What else you got? Um, heist. The movie Heist. Oh, I've seen that. Who's in that? Uh, that would star um, Gene Hackman. And I'm trying to remember who all was in that movie. Uh, Ricky Jay is in that movie. And it's, I believe it's a David Mamet 
uh, written and directed. So it's like, it's kind of got this sort of Aaron Sorkin-esque dialogue to it. Um, and it also has uh, Rebecca Pigeon in it, who I believe was David Mamet's like wife or girlfriend. So there's at least one really shitty actor in it. But it's got a cool cast. It's got Danny DeVito and Delroy Lindo, and it's got Sam Rockwell, who is like my absolute, like next to Jason, uh, Jason Bourne, next to Matt Damon, Sam Rockwell is one of my like box office draws. Nice. Um, and Ricky Jay is in it. And it's just kind of a really neat little, you know, twisty, turny, um, uh, heist movie where you never really know exactly what's going on or who's screwing who until the very end when somebody gets away with it. So fun movie. Um, um, speaking of Sam Rockwell, uh, you've seen Moon, I assume. Yeah, really cool movie. Yeah, that was a great one. Yeah. Hey, did we? I just it just occurred to me. Did we talk about Baby Driver? On no, and I haven't seen it, and I'm af- and I get it confused with Baby Boss, which makes me not want to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I rent. I'm a big because you were just talking about how big of a, a Sam Rockwell fan you are. I'm I'm that guy that we talked about who actually follows directors a lot of the time. Right. Okay. And I'm a huge Edgar Wright uh, fan. So Edgar Wright, you'll know him from the the Cornetto trilogy, which is Shaun of the Dead and okay. Hot Fuzz and uh, The End of the World. Yeah. Uh, the, Simon Pegg and, uh, and Nick Frost. And he also did uh, Scott Pilgrim, which is one of my favorite movies, which the first time I watched it, I was utterly confused as to why it was made. But <laughs> now I've watched it, you know, nine or 12 more times. It's one of my faves. Uh, so I'll watch pretty much any Edgar Wright movie. And so baby driver came out. I didn't get out to it in the theater. And finally it came up for rent on iTunes and I rented it and I watched it. And then I made my wife watch it. And so I saw it twice within 24 hours. Um, I think you'll dig it. It's a, it's kind of a heist movie. It's more of a, a driver movie really. Right. Okay. Uh, you know, the driver he's in too deep. He wants to get out that kind of thing. I don't think there's a ton of big shocking surprises or twists in it, but my wife and I were talking about it and it's like, it's a movie where I don't think you'd have a whole lot negative to say about it. It's so well-made. It's so well put together and crafted that you'd, you'd be hard pressed to go, well, this, I didn't like about that movie. It's just pretty solid. It's not exceptional, but it's solid. Okay. All right. Second person to give that a good review to me, actually. And there's also, I hear, I hear also that the character's got tinnitus. So he wears headphones and then there's like music throughout the movie or something like that. Uh, So that's one of the theories as to why he wears headphones all the time. Okay. Is that he, he was in an accident when he was young and he has tinnitus. And so he uses other music to drown out the, the, the hum or the vibration. Right. It's pretty common actually for people who have tinnitus. I wonder if I have tinnitus. And I literally do because I sometimes hear like just ringing and I wonder if. Just like a tone or. Yeah. And is it always the same tone? Yeah. Yeah. You probably have a little bit of tinnitus. Can you have a little bit of tinnitus? Yes, absolutely. I have okay. a little bit. Is it driving In my nuts? bad ear? Does it drive mm-hmm. you crazy or. No, mine is not at a loud enough decibel that it makes me crazy. I do wear headphones quite a bit and I do listen to a lot of stuff and that might be part of it. Um, but yeah, you can have different levels of tinnitus and different, uh, uh, decibel levels, I guess you'd call it. Okay. How much do you have uh, to have, have to park by the door? What's that? How much tinnitus do you have to have to be able to park like right by the door? <laughs> <laughs> well, I can tell you an, an interesting, but not so awesome story that a doctor friend of mine, uh, told me once about tinnitus. And he said that tinnitus is one of those things that not a lot of doctors or uh, news stories actually talk about um, because there's people who have mild tinnitus 
and there's people who have sort of mid-range tinnitus, but there aren't a lot of people who have like serious loud tinnitus. Right. Okay. Right. So the loudest this guy had ever heard, this woman had an 80 decibel tinnitus in one of her ears. What I don't understand is how you would know. It's it, not because like, it's just super crazy loud. But it's ear, not right? transmitting a signal. Like you can't like hold a microphone up to somebody's ear and go, oh, fuck, that's loud. No, but you could test it. You could put a, a sig- signal in the other ear and say, tell me when these are about the same, right? Oh, shit. Really? That would be traumatic for a woman with 80 decibel tinnitus. Well, so, so the thing is you don't get a lot of people with tinnitus that loud. Well, I mean you do, but you don't for long is basically what he was telling me. Okay. Right? Yeah. Because you can't get away from it. It's yeah, always there and it's always driving you crazy yeah. all the time. And so a lot of people who have it that bad just decide to kind of basically check out. Yeah. So, so I'm thinking that the – I'm not going to throw back to the Davey voicemail thing. <laughs> so, so I I have uh, – we talked about this before. I have hearing loss in my ear and I have a damaged balance center. And I do have a little bit of a ring. It's I, I hesitate to even call it a ring. Right. But it's just, there's a tone in that ear and it's always there, but I don't notice it about 90% of the time. I've noticed it right now because we're talking about it. Um, but most of the time I don't really notice it. I right. get a flutter in my ear sometimes when my, my stuff is acting up and I can tell that things are about to sort of ramp up a little bit because I can hear my ear fluttering. Right. I am hung up a little bit on the test for, to see how loud your tinnitus is though, because that sounds inhumane, right? So like we're gonna put we're gonna put up a lot we're gonna turn the volume up on this noise and you tell me when you can no longer hear your ear ringing and that's how we'll know how loud your tinnitus is that or, seems inhumane it's, or they'll put a sound in the other ear and you tell me when they're about the same loudness same same thing though right so to me it's sort of like my knee hurts I'm like okay how I'm gonna hit your other knee with a hammer <laughs> and you tell me when the pain is is at equilibrium like that would oh, be inhumane dude. You 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 have no idea the sort of like I'm 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 a mild case and you have no idea the kind of bullshit that I had to go through <laughs> testing wise. There's a test for vertigo that's called the rotating chair test. <laughs> that's great. That's not even a real thing. They just fucked with you that day. <laughs> like, are you sure you were at a doctor? I think you were at a Denny's. <laughs> <laughs> we just got loaded one night. We tried it out. Um, one of the tests they did to me, uh, we probably talked about this on the podcast before, but one of the tests they do is they kind of lie you back. So you're, it's, it's like a reverse dentist chair. You're laying up instead of down, right? Okay. Um, they put these glasses on you so you can't see anything, but they have cameras so they can see what your eyes are doing. They want to see if your eyes are twitching or if you have a nystagmus, okay? okay? Which is when your eye just sort of twitches on its own. So you can't see anything. You're completely in the dark. Then they take these tiny, tiny little jets of water and they hit you in the eardrums with water. (laughs) And after 30 seconds, everybody starts getting dizzy because your ear can't keep track of where it is anymore. And that's part of how you, you keep your balance is these little circular tubes inside of your ears know where your balance is, right? By the water level inside of them. Right. Okay. So, so after 30 seconds, everybody checks out and you get dizzy. So the way they figured out that I had a damaged balance center and the way I figured out, interestingly, that I had a damaged balance center is that I didn't get dizzy when they did it to one side. And then I asked the tech because the techs, don't, they will never tell you anything, right? They'll never say that's good or that's bad or whatever. Right. But I, I asked him straight up and this guy was awesome. He was this giant. He's a rugby player. He was South African Irish. Okay. And I knew this because I had to, I was like, dude, I have to know where your accent's from. Cause 
it was neither Irish or South African, but it was a good mix of both. Uh, South Africa, of course, uh, uh, Charlize Theron's uh, place of birth. <laughs> um, so uh, I asked the guy, I said, I said, oh, um, I didn't get dizzy on that side. I said, so, so what happens to a normal person? And he's, he said, well, what do you mean a normal person? I said, well, someone who doesn't have any kind of vertigo, right? Or any kind of issue with their ears. What happens when they get blasted with a jet of water? And he said, oh, they get dizzy after like 30 seconds. Everyone does. And I was like, well, thank you very much. You don't realize it, but you just told me that something's wrong with one side of my head because I didn't get dizzy. Right. So basically that balance center didn't react, right? Yeah, yeah. So I was kind of proud of myself. I, I Sherlock Holmes the shit out of that. And then they called me a couple months later and said, do you have a damaged balance center? And I was like, yeah, I know. See, and that's the most disappointing thing about that whole story to me, where it's just like, you have a damaged balance center. It's like, I, yeah, I know that. Like when I bring my car into the mechanic, I want him to go, okay, your gaskets have just worn through. We just have to replace the gaskets as opposed to going, the engine doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> your car is not working properly. I know. That's why I brought it to you. Oh, well. And uh, so the hearing tests that they do for that as well is, is is probably pretty common hearing tests that you'll you'll have it when you get a little older and your hearing starts to go. And basically, they just start repeating words and you have to say the word that they said back. And then what they do is they cut it out on one side. So it's just in your bad ear. Well, in my case, it's my bad ear. And I got to fight a lot harder to figure out what it is they're saying. And they get quieter and quieter. And they basically say, you can hear up to about here. And after that, you're not so good anymore. So, you know, it would be really funny hearing test. Is uh, okay. So let's do another little role play here. Okay. Gonna, okay. Yeah. I'm going to be the audio tape that plays in your headphones for your hearing test. Okay. And you are the patient who has who's being tested, and you just have to repeat what you hear on the audio tape. Okay. Okay. So, but are you an audio tape? Because normally it's just the audiologist. Who okay. Talks, I'm, but... I'm the audiologist. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> and then there's another doctor in the room who is following your progress and who's charting your progress. Okay. 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 Um, hi, Dave. I'm Doctor uh, Skinna Skin Unskinny Bob. Uh, <laughs> are you ready for your hearing test? I, I am. Okay. Uh, there's an audiologist in the other room. Has a microphone that's connected to these headphones that you're wearing. He's going to recite some words. You just repeat back to me what you hear. Okay. 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 Are you ready to proceed? I am ready. Okay. Uh, audiologist, go ahead. <laughs> you can't do this. Hang on. <laughs> Here we go. What? Uh, what? Huh? Huh? <laughs> Can you turn the volume up a bit? <laughs> Love it. I'm sorry, Mr. Ware, you failed. <laughs> You're deaf. Hey, wait a second. No, I heard all of that. <laughs> oh man. That's the high that's that's the highlight of my night right there. I think we it's should so funny for me too. I don't I don't know if you're if you're like this. If, have you gone for any uh 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 eye tests? No. No. Okay. So you're you're not as old as I am, but you know, if, if a couple of years here, you're you're gonna wake up one day, you're gonna be reading something, you'll be like, "Holy shit, I can't see that! Oh, what's going on? My eyes are screwed up!" And you're gonna go to the for an eye test, and the guy's gonna be like, "No, you're just getting old, dude. Just just chill up. You just need reading glasses, right?" Yeah. But uh, the interesting thing is, I don't know if you're like me, but I'm always like, they're like, "Okay, 
tell me, uh, you know, or tell me what you heard. And I'm always like, should I, or, or the, sometimes I'll give you a button, right? Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm abandoning the eye test. I'm back to the hearing test. Right. They're, what they'll do is they'll play a tone and they'll say, when you hear the tone, click the little button that we've given you. And that way we know you've heard the tone. And then I'm like, you've, you've spaced them evenly. So I think there should be one here, whether I hear it or not. This is a pattern now. So I'm just going <laughs> to like, should I be, yeah. should I, is it better for me to get a good mark on the test or a bad mark on the test? Should I be anticipating whether I heard that? Should I be guessing whether I heard that? So I feel like I'm Larry David when I get into the, right. <laughs> okay. What should happen here? Well, every time I'm at the doctor, I kind of, I want to know what I get depending on my answers. Like the time I cut off the tip on my finger and she asked me this really stupid question that they should stop asking, which is, uh, how bad is the pain? And I was like, oh, it's terrible. She's on a scale of one to 10, a 10. Right. And that's what I said to her. And she's like, well, 10 would be like a piano falls on you. I'm like, well, okay. Hey, a piano's never fallen on me. <laughs> so I guess this is a one. Like, I don't know. I'm just trying to tell you, I've never experienced more pain in my life than the time I cut off the tip of my finger with an ax. <laughs> like, so like, what do you, how is there a right or wrong answer to this question? But anyway, the point is, is that if she was going to look at a chart afterwards, right? So she goes, how bad's the pain? And this chart is numbered one to 10 and one is a Tylenol and 10 is morphine, right? Then I might look at that and go, well, I'm going to go for eight. What's eight? Like eight's a bottle of whiskey. Good call. <laughs> right? So I just kind of like want to know what I get depending on the answer that I give. And then that's the answer that I'm going to give. So when it comes to like the hearing test, it's sort of like, what answer do I have to give to get a cone <laughs> that I get to like hold up to my ear and have people shout into? Because that's the answer I want to give. Well, and, and you know, not to trade stories or anything, but I'm just trying to think back. So, like, you know, three or four years ago, I almost cut my thumb off. Right. Right. Uh, I remember that. Yeah, that was yours was way more thumb. gruesome than mine. Yeah. Um, but I don't remember. I honestly don't remember there being that much pain involved. You're in shock, right? I was in shock. I was in major shock until about halfway to the hospital. I remember it wearing off then, okay. and I remember some pretty serious throbbing, but I don't remember like screaming in pain at any point. I don't remember going, holy fuck, this hurts. Right. I don't remember that at all. Okay, I remember so I, almost passing out a couple of times. <laughs> well, I never got the holy fuck, this hurts, but I was also camping in the wilderness. And I, there was no hospital, right? So like that throbbing that you just described, I lived with that all night long. And then I okay. was really grouchy with my wife the following morning. And I was just basically like, you don't need to ask questions. It doesn't matter what the question is. You just don't need to ask it. Not today. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I, again, I keep saying this. I, I think we talked about this before, but uh, we're going to talk about everything uh, eight times before we're done this. Um, <laughs> I remember, uh, I remember immediately grabbing my thumb and going, holy fuck, something's wrong. So I was, I was holding a piece of wood and I was trying to saw through, uh, I was building a stand. So I was trying to saw through this piece of wood and it, it started getting stuck. So I moved my hand closer mm -hmm. to get a better grip. And then, of course, it jumped out of the track and it whacked me in the thumb. Ah. It cut through the bone, but it didn't cut my thumb. Uh, you know, it always makes me jump when you tell me this story. Yeah. Um, it didn't cut it off, but it cut through the bone, basically. Okay, So it kind of smashed the bone. and But my thumb was still there. It was still connected. Um, I grabbed it right away and I started going inside because I knew it was bad. Uh, and before I even got inside, I could see it was starting to bleed. I knew it was bad. So I got inside and I yelled at my wife. I said, we need to go to the hospital now. And she was like, holy shit, what happened? And she came in and I could, this is going to gross you out. If you're, if you're squeamish, you should stop listening for 10 seconds or so. <laughs> I felt it move in my hand. Like, you know, I right. felt it go like laterally in my hand. So I knew the bone was broken. Right. Right. 
like it's not connected by that anymore. Uh, and, and my wife was in worse shape than I was. She was, I think she was more in shock than I was. And she's like, uh, what, what? And I, so I took charge right away. I was like, kids, get your shoes on. And they were like, but I was like, no questions, get your shoes. on. <laughs> there will be no further questions. Yeah. We're going to the hospital right now. Um, and so I told her, I said, uh, she's like, what should, and I was like, just get me some ice. Cause of course, every movie you ever see, it's like, I'll oh, put it on ice. And I'm thinking, well, you know, that might help. Uh, so I got a big thing of ice and I was just holding it as tight as I could on my thumb. We're driving to the hospital and we're not too far. Right. So we're just on the other side of Nose Hill and we were heading to uh, the foothills, foothills, which is yeah. on the other side. So, uh, but yeah, like about halfway there, I could start feeling it throb. So she drops me off at emergency. I walk up, uh, you're in the little triage area and they're looking at you. And so I sit down. And uh, she's like, okay, we're just going to unwrap and see how bad it was to see whether we need to send you in right away. And I'm just like, you're definitely going to need to do that. Right? Yeah. So she starts unwrapping it and she looks at it and she's like, oh, and then she says wrapping it up right away. She's like, oh yeah, no, no. Yeah. And then she looks at me and she's like, do you need to put your head down? And I was like, no, what are you talking about? She's like, and Kate takes a picture of me. I takes a picture of me on her phone and shows it to me. And I'm white as a sheet. Of right? course. Yeah. But you don't, you don't feel it or anything. Right. No. Um, and so then of course they send you into the back and then they give, give you a quick shot to numb any further pain. And it was probably another hour, hour and a half before they sent someone around to do stitches. And they had decided that they weren't going to do any surgery or anything that they were just going to basically hold it in place and let the bone mend. Uh, that was all fine and good. And I'm almost done. I jumped to the end of the story. So I go back, it's healing really well. The doctor's very impressed with it. I I get this little plastic cover for it. It looks like a, like a bad dildo. Yeah. I remember that. (laughs) And so I attached, I, I super glued some Lego to it so that I could make, and I made a reindeer at one point, right? So I just started attaching various pieces of Lego to this thing because it was funny to me. Uh, and then I go back to get the stitches removed. And again, I'm like, yeah, no, it's fine. It's all good. And she's like, okay, we're going to take the stitches out. She's like, a lot of people don't like to look. And I'm like, well, why wouldn't? And I looked out and I almost passed out again. <laughs> fantastic i think that's so funny and it's like in my brain i'm like no i get it i know my my thumb looks horrible and that kind of thing um uh, again for the show notes i will put up uh, what i did to show my friends how horrible it was because you don't want to put those kind of pictures on the internet for the squeamish is i made a i I mocked up a lego mosaic of my finger of my thumb so i'll see if i can find that and put that up for you guys as well perfect well, Dave, that brings uh, to to a conclusion another rousing episode of the National Talkie League. So, thumbs up to that episode. <laughs> yes, three thumbs up and one thumb <laughs> just barely functioning. Right. <laughs> hey, thanks so much for listening to us. Uh, please feel free to give us a five star review wherever you shop for podcasts. If you love what you hear, tell your friends about it. We certainly do appreciate that. And if you don't, keep it to yourself. No one likes a whiner. You've been listening to the National Talking League. Show notes from this episode can be found at nationaltalkingleague.com. Support for this podcast comes from you. Please share it on social media. Give a five-star review in your favorite podcast store. And connect with us on Facebook. On behalf of Roger Kincaid and Dave Ware, thank you.